How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of English Encore. I'm your host, Nick English. Thank you guys for tuning in. Today, we're going to be talking about NBA free agency, the winners and losers, preview of the 2019 U.S. Open. We'll be starting to talk about some fantasy football, top five players at the running back, quarterback, wide receiver, and tight end position, along with some bust and sleeper picks. Then we're going to get into the MLB playoff race. So let's start with the NBA or talk about some of the teams that had the best off-seasons, in my opinion. So the top five teams I thought had the best off-season were the Clippers, Nets, Philadelphia 76ers, Indiana Pacers, and the Utah Jazz. So we'll start off at number five with the Utah Jazz. This offseason, they made a huge addition by trading for Mike Conley to pair him alongside their young rising star Donovan Mitchell in the backcourt. They were able to sign Bojan Bogdanovic away from the Indiana Pacers to really stretch the floor. Big, small forward who has the ability to shoot it from pretty much anywhere. They added a few nice veterans in Jeff Green and Emmanuel Moutier. So I think with their great coach, Quinn Snyder, they're going to be top five six in the western conference again this year and probably playing for a second round or potential even uh, western conference final spot this year my number four team was the indiana pacers i thought they had one of the sneakiest off seasons acquiring malcolm brockton from the bucks i thought was one of the most underrated moves of the entire nba offseason Pairing him with Oladipo will be coming back off injury and their backcourt to go along with Miles Turner in the frontcourt I thought was huge. Obviously losing Boyan Bogdanovich to the Jazz who I just mentioned is a pretty big loss. However, they did acquire TJ Warren from the Phoenix Suns so I think he'll pretty much slide right into Bogdanovich's spot. And then they added a few nice pieces for their bench getting Jeremy Lamb from the Charlotte Hornets and then TJ McConnell from the 76ers so I thought Indiana really had a great offseason going to number three the Philadelphia 76ers they really positioned themselves to be a top two team in the Eastern Conference this year they were able to acquire Josh Richardson in the Jimmy Butler deal with the Miami Heat they were able to add Al Horford in free agency from the Boston Celtics to go along with Joel Embiid in that front court and then re-signing Tobias Harris. So just looking at their starting lineup alone with Ben Simmons, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, and Al Horford. That's going to be a great team. Probably one of the best starting lineups in the whole NBA. Not to mention they brought back James Ennis and Mike Scott on their bench. They're not really big role players, but they do a good job off the bench playing those 10 to 15 minutes and contributing. And I think they're going to be one of the hardest defensive teams in the NBA as well. My number two team was the Brooklyn Nets. Anytime you add the guys like the name of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, obviously you had a very good offseason. They also were able to sign DeAndre Jordan. He's one of Kevin Durant's closest friends. Obviously, Kevin Durant's going to be out this entire year with that Achilles injury, but 
They still have Kyrie with DeAndre Jordan. They still got a lot of young guys, Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, uh, Karis LeVert. So they're going to be in good hands with Kyrie. I still think they're going to be able to fight for a top five, six spot in the Eastern Conference. And then next year when Kevin Durant is able to play, they'll be right in that mix for the top two spot. And then my number one winner for the NBA free agency this offseason was the Los Angeles Clippers. All the moves they made should make them a title contender this year. Getting the finals MVP Kawhi Leonard to sign with them instead of staying in Toronto or going with the Los Angeles Lakers was a huge win for them. Obviously, the Lakers and Clippers going back and forth rivalry. The Lakers were able to trade for Anthony Davis, so many in the NBA thought if they could get Kawhi Leonard, they were pretty much going to steamroll through the NBA and create a new Warriors dynasty, essentially. So being able to get Kawhi Leonard to the Clippers was obviously a huge win for them, so now it's a crosstown rivalry. And then trading for Paul George to pair with Kawhi Leonard, which was the main reason he was able to go there, um, is a huge move. They have both great two-way players this lineup is going to have be one of the best defensively in the NBA to go along with the 76ers I just mentioned a few minutes ago and then they were able to take care of some of their own guys they re-signed Patrick Beverly and sixth man of the year Lou Williams Lou Williams is a pretty much a 18 to 20 point scorer off the bench every year. Patrick Beverly is just a dog, plain and simple. He's going to harass you on the defensive end all night while able to still give you 8 to 13, 14 points per night. And then you add that with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who easily could average 20 plus each. So I think the Clippers right now, in my opinion, are the number one team in the NBA and are the early title favorites. So now getting in some of the losers of NBA free agency, we'll start off at number five with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, they lost Russell Westbrook and Paul George. Paul George, as I mentioned a moment ago, was traded to the Los Angeles Clippers while they then traded Russell Westbrook to Houston Rockets. Russell Westbrook didn't want to be in Oklahoma City anymore after they got rid of Paul George. It's pretty clear that Oklahoma City is rebuilding. Sam Presti did do a good job in getting a lot of draft picks. At the same time, you just lost your two best players. They also lost Jeremy Grant to the Nuggets. Um, they take on CP3 and Delio Gallinari, um, two aging players who definitely still have some skill and are going to be able to keep them afloat and they'll probably be fighting for a 7-8 seed in the playoffs, but I truly don't think they're going to make it. And they did get a lot of picks um, with the Paul George trade. But in the end, I just don't think that they had the best offseason. And they're going to be rebuilding for the next three to four years to come. Number four, I have the Golden State Warriors losing Kevin Durant. Um, anytime you lose a player of that magnitude, personally, I think Kevin Durant has made a case for himself when he's healthy that he's the best player in the world. Um, LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard would probably say otherwise but personally right now I think if all players healthy I think Kevin Durant's the best player in the world um, losing Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston and DeMarcus Cousins all three of those guys veteran guys to go along with Klay Thompson's going to be out most of this year 
if not the whole season with that ACL injury. Um, they were able to acquire D'Angelo Russell um, from the Brooklyn Nets. They traded KD there in the sign and trade. Um, it does fill that role for now with Klay Thompson being out. But once Klay gets back, I feel like it's going to be pretty hard to have Russell, Curry, and Thompson on the floor at the same time. I know Klay Thompson can defend pretty much any player in the NBA, and he's one of the top shooters in NBA history. I just don't see them all meshing well, so I wouldn't be completely shocked if they look to move Russell next year. And then besides that, the only things they really did was re-sign Kevon Looney and sign Willie Cauley-Stein to replace DeMarcus Cousins. Definitely not a bad move, but as an overall hole for their offseason, losing Durant, Iguodala, Livingston, and Cousins, I think that's not typically a great offseason. Then number three, you have the Washington Wizards. They pretty much did nothing this entire offseason. Um, John Wall's going to miss most of next year, if not all of it, with that Achilles injury that he suffered last year. Both Jeff Green and Trevor Ariza are gone. Dwight Howard was traded. The only moves they really made this offseason were trading for C.J. Miles and then signing free agents Itch Smith and Isaiah Thomas. I do like the Isaiah Thomas signing just because I do need that point guard to fill John Wall's role while he's out for the whole year to help out Bradley Beal. Um, we just don't really know what version of Isaiah Thomas we're going to get. He struggled when he signed with the Nuggets last year, and we haven't seen him really get back to his form since the Boston Celtics. But he does look healthy now, so it'll be very interesting to see how he performs this year. But overall, the Wizards just haven't had a good offseason. Their whole front office has been in shambles after they got rid of their GM. So we'll see what the Wizards look like this year, but I don't expect them to make the playoffs at all. And number two, we have the New York Knicks. Um, obviously, a lot of Knicks fans are mad because they lost out in the lottery, so they ended up picking third. So they missed out on both Zion Williamson and John Moran. They did get R.J. Barrett, which is a nice consolation prize. However, many people still feel that Zion Williamson and Moran are going to be better pros. And then they weren't able to sign any of those big marquee free agents. Um, from the rumors were that they didn't even offer Kevin Durant a max contract, which is a little ridiculous to me in my opinion. I know he's going to be out this entire season, but to get a player of that magnitude, I personally feel if they would have made that max offer and convinced Kevin Durant to sign another star like Jimmy Butler, Kyrie Irving, or D'Angelo Russell, any of those guys would have been willing to go and sign with the Knicks to play with him. So missing out on all those free agents, even guys like Kemba Walker and such, um, Knicks fans obviously aren't happy. And instead they go after guys and sign Taj Gibson, Julius Randle, Alfred Payton, Bobby Portis, Wayne Ellington, Reggie Bullock. Just a bunch of average NBA players at best. Um, I do like the Julius Randle signing a lot. That was definitely a great move by them, but Taj Gibson, Alfred Payton, and Bobby Portis, like, I don't know. I just think the Knicks are still really struggling. Um, I know they talked about how they weren't going to waste money and they're going to save again for next offseason to potentially get another great player, but 
as of right now, the way their roster is constructed, I just don't see why anyone would want to come to New York. There's no really great pieces to build around. Obviously, we'll have to see with R.J. Barrett, but um, they let go of Porzingis for pretty much nothing. Um, we still don't really know what Kevin Knox is yet. Dennis Smith Jr. is a nice piece, but is he really going to be a franchise guy at that point guard position? And other than that, last year they just had um, a bunch of average NBA role players who were starting a lot of games. And then my number one team um, that lost out in NBA free agency was the Charlotte Hornets. Um, they choose not to pay Kemba Walker. Um, they lose Jeremy Lamb. They get stuck with a bunch of guys picking up player options, such as Bismack Biombo to go along with Marvin Williams. And then they also lose Frank Kaminsky. Um, Miles Bridges is obviously a nice piece to build around for the future. They were able to get Terry Rozier in the sign trade where Kemba goes to Boston and they got Rozier back. So it was a nice way to get a little bit of compensation for Kemba for letting him walk. However, they severely overpaid Terry Rozier. Um, per se, I'm a Terry Rozier fan. I thought he did really well for himself when Kyrie was out last year. And um, he led them to the Eastern Conference Finals against LeBron and the Cavs. Um, obviously, this year there was a lot of turmoil with the Celtics organization trying to fit Gordon Hayward off injury, um, along with Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Horford, Smart, Kyrie. Just didn't really work out, and Rozier kind of got fed up with it and wanted to go somewhere else. And then, other than that, the Hornets really didn't do anything this entire offseason. Um, they made a couple nice picks in the draft, getting P.J. Washington from Kentucky. But um, the Hornets are definitely going to be struggling for years to come, and I think they're in a really tough spot. So moving on, we're going to be talking about the U.S. Open and the men's draw. Um, the draw actually hasn't physically come out yet, but we're just going to talk about who I think is going to win. Um, I think the U.S. Open, as far as Grand Slams go in tennis, is the most unpredictable of the other three between Wimbledon, the French, and the Australian. Just because if you look back, there haven't been back-to-back -back winners since Roger Federer when he won from 2004 through 2008. You think about the French Open Roland Garros, that's pretty much just Rafa's turf. He has the most French Opens ever. There's a reason he's called the King of Clay. You look at Wimbledon, Roger Federer is pretty much viewed as the grass court god. Um, he's won so many Wimbledons there. And then the Australians, another one that's kind of up in the air, but I feel like Novak Djokovic has won a lot of Australian Opens where you look at the U.S. Open, as I just mentioned, no back-back winners since Federer did it. Since uh, 2008, Juan Martin Del Potro, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Andy Murray, Marin Cilic, and Stan Wawrinka have all won the U.S. Open. So U.S. Open's definitely one that's up for grabs um, until obviously the actual bracket comes out. It's kind of hard to predict, but I'm going to talk about four guys who I think are going to be in the mix to win that. Now, anytime you talk about Grand Slams in tennis, um, there's three names that pretty much come to mind every single time. 
Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal. If you pick any of those three guys to win whatever Grand Slam it is, you're in pretty good hands because no one else on tour has really shown the ability to knock off any of those guys. And those three are primarily in almost every single final, either against each other or at least one of them's in it against a severely less talented opponent. That's why Nadal's won so many French Opens and Federer's won so many Wimbledons and Novak's just won a lot of titles in general. So looking at some of the guys I personally feel are going to have some a good U.S. Open run this year. Um, starting off with Dominic Team. Team's been a guy who for the past year or two has been said to be the next guy in line to kind of break into that top four or five and be a guy that is consistently competing for Grand Slam Finals. He's shown the ability to compete with some of the top players on tour. He's beaten Rafael Nadal multiple times on clay, which is very hard to do. He's beaten Novak. He's beaten Roger um, in tournaments outside of Grand Slam. So we know he has the ability to be with the top-end guys. It just hasn't translated so far in the Grand Slams. He just went out in the first round against Sam Query at Wimbledon. So I think he's going to have a big bounce back um, at the U.S. Open. And I could see him making a run to the finals. Um, Novak Djokovic is the next guy. Um, he's the defending champion. He's coming off a win over the greatest player of all time, Roger Federer, at Wimbledon in an epic five-set match. So going into U.S. Open, he has a lot of momentum. Um, easily could be the favorite overall once the draw comes out in a few weeks. Um, Djokovic is just a very consistent player. He's one of the best returners in the game, and he's very good at reading players' serves and breaking them early on. Um, I think Roger Federer uh, had his chances at Wimbledon to beat him, but just wasn't able to convert. And part of that is because Roger is getting up there in age, and Novak does have... Less mileage on his legs, a lot younger, even though he's probably occurred more injuries in his career than Federer. He's just younger, and um, right now I feel like Novak, as much as it pains me to say because I'm not a huge fan, is more talented than Federer is. I still think Federer's the greatest of all time, regardless of what Novak does for the remainder of his career, but Novak definitely has to be a favorite going into the U.S. Open. Uh, Roger Federer is the next guy. I want to talk about, I think any time Federer loses in a final, the next tournament or Grand Slam he comes out in, um, he definitely ups his game to a new level. Um, Federer's one of those guys, along with Nadal and Djokovic, that until they get to that quarter semifinals, they can kind of get away with playing at that 80 to 85%, and then once they face one of those top players, whether it's a team, Zverev, Dimitrov, Kyrgios, they can ramp it up to that next level, and they're just unbeatable. Um, I think Federer's going to use Wimbledon's loss as a motivation. I could easily see him making a run to the U.S. Open final. Um, I think hardcore is definitely one of his better surfaces. I think Wimbledon grass is obviously his best just because the amount of times he's won there. But I think he's a better hardcore player than he is Clay. So we'll see if Roger can rebound from his Wimbledon loss to Novak. Then finally, I have Stav Wawrinka. 
from 2014 through 2016, you could make the argument that Stan was that fourth guy to go along with Novak, Roger, and Rafa, just because during that three-year stretch, he won three Grand Slams, he won an Australian Open, won a French Open, won a U.S. Open, and every single one of those finals, he defeated the number one seeded player in the world. Um, that's why I have him as my wild card to kind of win this year's U.S. Open. Not only because he's won it in the past, but he's just a player that at any time, if his game is on, um, he's right up there with any player in the world. And his backhand's one of the best in the game besides probably Federer. Um, those one-hand backhanders are just deadly. Um, Stan obviously suffered an injury. Um, these previous few years, so he's been trying to get back into the flow of things. He's had a tough time making it deep in tournaments, but more recently he's starting to turn it around, getting a lot deeper, um, and not just Grand Slams, just um, outside ATP tours in general. So I think Stan has a real shot this year to make a deep run. Um, I think Stan's a very good hard-court player. Just the way he plays, um, he hits a very hard and heavy topspin forehand he has a great serve that when that's on he's probably one of the top five servers in the game so it's definitely going to be interesting to see who's going to take home the title this year um, before the driving comes out I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to predict that Novak Djokovic wins this year's U.S. Open I just think with the momentum he has coming off the Wimbledon win over Federer and um, a lot of guys struggle with that transition from um, the grass court to the hard court season. I think he's the best position to win this year's U.S. Open. So now we're going to get into the MLB playoff race. We're going to start with the American League. Currently, the Yankees, Twins, and Astros all lead their divisions, while the Cleveland Indians and Rays are the two wildcard teams. Oakland Athletics, Red Sox, Rangers, and Angels are all trailing behind those two teams for the final wild card spot. So it's definitely going to be a tight contest over the next month or so, seeing um, who's going to take home those final two wild card spots. I think the Yankees are pretty well positioned to maintain the lead in the American League East for the rest of the year. Um, their pitching definitely needs to improve. They got smacked a few days ago by the Red Sox, although during this series they've been doing a lot better. Um, CeCe's out with an injury. Tanaka's been very inconsistent all year. Same with Happ and Paxton. Um, German's actually been the most consistent pitcher, I think, for the Yankees all year. But I just think their batting alone is going to be able to keep them in that first spot. Um, the Minnesota Twins are a very interesting team just because they really didn't add anything at the deadline. Um, they're being led by Byron Buxton, really young, good player. Um, Cleveland's only three games back of them, so definitely going to be interesting to see if Indians can catch them. And the Indians just made a pretty um, risky move themselves as they traded pitcher Trevor Bauer in a three-team deal. They did bring in Yasiel Puig, which is a big bad addition to their lineup. 
Um, it'll be interesting to see if that'll allow them to propel the Twins in that race. Um, the Houston Astros, I think they easily have their division locked. Um, they currently have an eight and a half game lead. They just added Zach Greinke to an already stacked rotation, so I don't see them going anywhere. Um, the Rays are another interesting team to watch. I don't think they're going to be able to catch the Yankees. However, they do, did add pitchers Nick Anderson, uh, Trevor Richards, and then infielders Jesus Aguilar and Eric Sogard. So um, I think they're going to be able to hold on to that wild card spot. And I think Oakland and the Angels are the two most interesting teams just because the Angels have Mike Trout. Anytime you have a superstar player of that magnitude, um, you're never going to be out of the playoff race. Although in baseball, it's a little bit different compared to other sports where a superstar can really carry you. Baseball is a little different because even if Mike Trout goes 4 for 4 with six RBIs in a game, you could still lose. So um, it'll definitely be to see if the Angels can get it going and get into that last wild card spot. And then Oakland's just interesting because just they've had pretty good pitching all year. Um, Chris Davis has been good for them all year hitting wise. So um, I do think the Indians are going to come back and win that division and I think the Twins actually might fall out and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the Angels are going to make a run at the end of the season and take that second wild card spot and the Rays are going to move up to that first wild card spot. Um, looking at the National League, the Braves, Cardinals, and Dodgers currently lead their division. Um, the Cubs and Nationals hold on to the wild card spots. They both have the same record. Um, the Phillies are one game back, uh, Brewers are two games back, and the Giants are three and a half back of the wild card. And then the Diamondbacks and Mets are still hanging around, um, both about five games back. So it'll be interesting to see in the NL. The Dodgers are easily the best team in the NL, in my opinion. They're leading their division by 16 games right now, so they're pretty much a lock to win their division. Um, the Cardinals, on the other hand, is a little bit of a different story just because both the Cubs and Brewers are right on their tail. They're both within three games, so um, I think whatever one doesn't win the division is going to have one of the wild card spots. But it'll be interesting to see if all three of them can get into the wild card and have three teams from the same division. And then the Braves, I think, right now are in a really good spot. Um, they've been probably one of the most consistent teams in the MLB all year. And they have a five-plus game lead for their division. And they've just been playing some really solid baseball lately. Um, I think the Nationals and Phillies, interestingly enough, are going to be one of the teams that um, gets that second wildcard spot. So it'll be interesting to see if Bryce Harper can lead his Phillies team over his former Nationals team. I think the Brewers are going to be the team that misses out between the Cardinals-Cubs. I think the Cubs actually are going to um, overtake the Cardinals at some point before the year ends and win the division, but I think the Cardinals would hold on to that first wild card spot. Um, the Mets are a little bit of an interesting case just because they did acquire Marcus Stroman, so now they're pitching 
It's gone to another level. They've always already had a strong pitching staff, but now adding Stroman, you don't know. Maybe they can go on a big run. It seems like Robinson Cano is really starting to turn it around. Um, obviously, Pete Alonso's having a monster year for them. So you definitely can't throw them out completely. But I think at the end of the day, the Braves, Cubs, um, Cardinals, Dodgers, and I think the Phillies are going to get that last wild card spot. I just think um, Bryce Harper is going to be able to carry them over the hump. And I think the Nationals just don't have enough hitting power um, to make that final spot. So now we're going to get into our final topic for today's episode where I'm talking about some fantasy football. I'm going to go through the quarterbacks, running backs, wide receiver, and tight end position and give my top five uh, fantasy players at each one. And then I'm going to give five sleepers and five players to avoid this year in fantasy. Um, this is all going to be based on PPR um, point system. So starting off with the quarterbacks, number one, I have Patrick Mahomes. Coming off his monster MVP season, um, I just think he's going to, I don't think he's going to duplicate those exact same stats, but from a fantasy perspective, I think he's tiers above pretty much any other fantasy quarterback that there is. Um, my number two fantasy quarterback is Andrew Luck. Luck bounced back off of his injury last year very well and led the Colts to the playoffs. Um, I think he's going to have another monster year. I think now that they have Marlon Mack established in the backfield and then having T.Y. Hilton on the outside as a wide receiver threat and then bringing back Eric Ebron, who really rejuvenated himself in Indianapolis after really not being able to get it going with the Detroit Lions. I think Luck's going to have a monster year. Um, Deshaun Watson is my number three fantasy quarterback. Um, anytime you have a guy that has the ability to run to, to go along with guys like Cam Newton, even um, Patrick Mahomes to that extent, but Russell Wilson. The quarterbacks that are able to get you the rushing and passing yards are obviously um, very valuable. Um, I think when you're picking a running quarterback, it's always a little bit risky just from you seeing guys like Marcus Mariota where injuries can occur. But for the most part, Deshaun Watson's been pretty healthy over his career so far. Um, having DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller, um, guys like that on the outside, uh, Fuller really being that deep threat, and then Watson just having his legs with Lamar Miller in the backfield as well. Um, I think he's going to have a really good year. Number four was a really interesting spot for me. I actually have Baker Mayfield year two um, in that spot. Um, I have a lot of high expectations for Mayfield this year in fantasy just because he has so many weapons around him. Tony O'Callaway, David Njoku, and then Odell Beckham Jr. and Landry are the obvious two big names on that team. And then the running back spot, they have a three-headed monster. Um, they have Nick Chubb, who's going to have a big year too, I think. Duke Johnson, who is a little bit of a question mark just because of the contract dispute, and he thinks he's not going to get enough reps. But as of right now, he is on the team. And then once Kareem Hunt gets back from suspension, um, that team's just going to be loaded on offense, and I think Mayfield's really going to thrive in it. And even if he doesn't, for a team perspective, I think fantasy-wise he's going to have a big year. And then my fifth quarterback is Matt Ryan. 
Um, Matt Ryan, just in the offense that the Falcons run, he's throwing the ball 35, 40 plus times per game to go along with arguably one of the top receiving cores in the entire NFL with Julio Jones, Mohamed Sanu, and second-year player Calvin Ridley. And you also have Devontae Freeman coming off injury in the backfield. So I have Matty Ice at number five. Going into running backs, I have Saquon Barkley at number one. Um, with them losing Odell and Saquon already having a monster year last year, I think his receiving's going to go up by a lot, and he's just going to be the entire feature of the offense. So I think he's a pretty clear-cut number one. After that, it's kind of iffy, just because I honestly feel these next three guys are toe-to-toe -to -toe with each other. But from a PPR perspective, I have Christian McCaffrey at two, Elvin Kamara at three, and Ezekiel Elliott at four. The only reason I have McCaffrey and Kamara ahead of Zeke um, is just because of the receiving aspect. Um, McCaffrey's just an overall beast for how small he is. Um, he's great at catching the ball out of the backfield, and he's the feature just like Saquon is. Um, and that offense, I think Cam coming off injury only facilitates McCaffrey getting more touches, especially because of how young he is. And then Kamara, I think his uptake in carries um, is going to be big for him this year just because they did lose Mark Ingram to Baltimore and they brought in Latavius Murray to replace him. I don't think Latavius Murray is going to be nearly as effective as um, Mark Ingram was in that offense, so I think that's only going to lead to Kamara getting more touches both on the ground and through the air. Um, Zeke's a, a little bit of a question mark from the contract perspective. We don't know if he's going to hold out and if that's going to go into the season. Obviously, if he plays, he's going to be a top-five fantasy running back just from the workload alone. Um, and the reason, as I just mentioned, I have him at four below Kamara and McCaffrey is from the receiving uh, perspective, he doesn't get nearly as many looks in the catching game um, as Kamara and McCaffrey do. And then my number five running back, um, this was pretty tough, but I think David Johnson is going to have a very big year. Um, I think the Cardinals are a little bit of a mystery team just because of Cliff Kingsbury Kyler Murray, they had Larry Fitzgerald come back. Um, I know David Johnson didn't have the big year like a lot of people thought he would coming off injury from the year before, but despite um, being on one of the worst teams in the NFL last year, where a team averaged only 14 points per game, he still ended up finishing last year as a top 12 fantasy running back. So I think adding Kyler Murray just because he's going to be able to run it adds that little bit extra dynamic, and I think it's going to allow David Johnson to get some more open lanes. Um, and I think the receiving core with Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk year two, um, I think it's going to open up the passing game a little more, and I think David Johnson is going to have a big year, and he's also another running back that is very involved in the um, pass game. Wide receivers is probably the most difficult thing to rate as far as fantasy goes just because there's so many great wide receivers and a lot of their point totals don't differ in PPR just because um, you can have a guy that has 8 catches for 80 yards and that's 16 points 
or you can have a guy that has two catches for 120 yards or something ridiculous like that, um, and you're getting almost the same amount of points. But I have DeAndre Hopkins as the number one wide receiver. Um, he pretty much just catches anything thrown at him. He has one of the lowest drop rates in the entire league. Um, he's Sean Watson's go-to guy, and he's going to be getting targeted 10 to 15 times per game just because Will Fuller hasn't been able to stay healthy. They don't really have a big threat at tight end. And Lamar Miller's a solid running back, but he's not among the elite. So it's always really Ben Hopkins and Watson on offense. And another big reason why I really feel that Hopkins is the number one uh, fantasy wide receiver is just look at his division. The Colts have a great defense. Um, the Tennessee Titans have one of the most talented secondaries and so do the Jacksonville Jaguars. So what DeAndre Hopkins has been able to do against those defenses over the course of his career only ups his value when he faces other teams outside that division because he's going up against guys like Jalen Ramsey and Malcolm Butler four times a year. So I think going against any other team, he's pretty much can dominate any matchup he has. Devontae Adams is my number two fantasy wide receiver. Um, he only had five points less than DeAndre Hopkins last year overall in total. Um, Adams is just one of the most consistent fantasy guys, um, despite whoever his quarterback is, just because Aaron Rodgers had a tough time staying healthy the past few years. Adams has always still found a way to get his targets and touchdowns. I have Julio Jones at number three. Um, I think a lot of people are really high on Julio Jones this year just because of his recent comments. I know they were a little bit joking, but I think he was actually partially serious when he said he wants to try to go for 3,000 yards this year. Um, Julio's obviously a huge deep threat. Um, he's a big body receiver, just like Calvin Johnson. Um, I feel like Julio's really going to thrive this year just because I think Calvin Ridley going into year two is only going to help him um, get more one-on-one -on -one looks because if they continue to double-team Julio, Calvin Ridley and Sanu are going to start burning other teams over the middle and deep. Uh, the only reason Julio isn't above Adams and Hopkins, in my opinion, is I feel Hopkins and Adams are very consistent at getting that 10 to 15 targets per game, whereas Julio, I feel like sometimes... He gets 10 targets, and then next game he goes down to three or four just because guys are all over him, and he ends up finishing with only three or four catches, or else I'd have him higher on this list. Michael Thomas is the guy I have at number four. He just got that huge contract extension. Um, he's the same type. When I was talking about Matt Ryan, Drew Brees is the same type of way of throwing the ball 30, 40 times per game. Even with a stud running back like Alvin Kamara in the backfield, the focal point of the offense is definitely through the air. And besides Michael Thomas, there really isn't a true number two. I know they got Jared Cook this offseason at tight end, but they have a lot of uh, other receivers who are kind of just rotating through. There's really no number true number two guy. So I think Michael Thomas is set for another big year. And then my fifth guy is Odell Beckham Jr., um, despite missing four games last year, excuse me, he still finished top 15 in fantasy. Um, I think in an offense that he's going to get 
a lot more balls thrown his way compared to Eli Manning where that offensive line couldn't hold up for more than two, three seconds, and he was barely getting the targets he deserved. Um, I think Cleveland's got a pretty solid offensive line. And then uh, add the fact that you have Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, and Nick Chubb on the outside. I feel like Odell's going to have a lot more one-on-ones than he did in New York. Um, I think he is in a very tough division defensively, but I still think he's going to be a top-five fantasy receiver. Getting into the tight ends, uh, Travis Kelsey and Zach Ertz are easily the top two. I think Kelsey's the number one. He's had over 1,000 yards the past three years. Um, I think Zach Ertz is easily the number two. Um, After that, it's pretty much a drop-off. Especially with Carson Wentz at quarterback, I always felt you could tell between Carson Wentz and Nick Foles and that when Foles was on the field, I think it was pretty clear-cut that Alshon Jeffrey was his guy, where when Wentz is on the field, it's always Zach Ertz. Um, After Ertz, it's kind of up in the air for three through five. Um, I have George Kittle at number three. Kittle had a huge year for the 49ers last year, and you talk about going through a quarterback carousel. I think he had three or four different quarterbacks last year between Garoppolo, Nick Mullen, C.J. Beathard, um, he pretty much caught the ball from whoever was throwing it to him. So I think Garoppolo, fully healthy this year, is really going to get Kittle going. I have Evan Ingram of the Giants at four. Um, with all the controversy at wide receiver for the Giants right now, with Golden Tate facing suspension and then Corey Coleman being out for the year with a torn ACL, and Sterling Shepard, we don't know how long he's going to be out with that thumb injury. Um, Evan Ingram's going to have a big year and a big uptick in targets, um, especially just with the loss they had the offseason with Odell. And then teams are really going to probably stack the box against Saquon. So I think Evan Ingram's going to get a lot more targets. And then I have O.J. Howard of the Bucks at number five. I think Bruce Arians going there is really going to open up that offense. And um, I think O.J. Howard from Alabama – uh, where he was, where he came out, I thought he really didn't have as big of a year last year as he probably should have. And I think Arians is going to bring out the best in Winston, which should then bring out the best in Howard as well. And because they lost Deshaun Jackson, I think that means that tight ends are going to get a lot more targets. So I think Howard's going to have a pretty big year. So we're going to get into some sleepers and bus picks. Um, we're going to start with the bust list of players I think you should probably avoid. Number one, I have Aaron Rodgers. Um, as good as Aaron Rodgers is, he just hasn't shown the ability to stay healthy over the past few years. And um, despite him being able to get the ball to Devontae Adams, he's really struggled to find anyone else to throw the ball to. And I think he's just going to continue to struggle. Um, I don't think Jimmy Graham's anywhere where he used to be as a tight end. Um, they let go of Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb's gone, so it's going to be really interesting to see how that offense looks. Um, I think Devontae Adams is really the only fantasy-relevant player on the offensive side of the ball for the Packers. Um, Aaron Jones, his name is always around just because he's shown so many flashes, but him as well with the injury bug. I think on Johnson of the Detroit Lions, their running back, is another player to avoid. 
just because they have another couple running backs on their roster. C.J. Anderson came off a great postseason with the Rams and LeGarrette Blunt, who obviously goes back with Matt Patricia from his days in New England. Um, even though they released Theo Riddick, I just don't see Carrion Johnson being that guy in fantasy this year. Um, number three is kind of a bulk of guys. Um, any San Francisco running back, I just don't trust just because they have so many guys between Matt Breida, Jarek McKinnon coming off injury from last year, and they signed Tevin Coleman from the Falcons. Um, Breida's pretty much the most downhill runner, where McKinnon and Coleman are both more third down receiving type backs. So it's very hard to predict um, who's going to be the guy that's going to get the workload compared to a team like New England where you can pretty much play any of the three running backs and be fine just because you already know that James White's that passing down guy and Sony Michelle is going to be your downhill runner. And then when one of them's not going, um, they have Rex Burkhead to be that other guy. Uh, Jordan Howard, the running back for the Philadelphia Eagles, is the next guy I would avoid. Um, he pretty much got his spot taken by Tariq Cohen and David Montgomery in Chicago. And I think with the injuries they've had on the offensive line, whether it was Jason Peters last year or Jason Kelsey, I just don't see Jordan Howard being that guy, especially when they really like to throw the ball to the running backs. You just saw that last year with Wendell Smallwood, Darren Sproles, whoever it was. Um... And then finally, the fifth guy to avoid, as much as I love him as a player, A.J. Green. Uh, I really feel bad for A.J. Green. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy. Uh, he just had another ankle injury, which is probably going to have him miss games already to start the season. And it's just such a shame just because he is such a talented receiver, easily top 10 when he's healthy. You could even make an argument top 5 when he's healthy, but... He's just a receiver I think you have to stay away from just because you never know when he's going to play. Now we're going to get into the top five sleepers. A few of them I've actually already mentioned. We'll start with the running back tandem of Tariq Cohen and David Montgomery. So because Jordan Howard's gone, both Montgomery and Cohen are going to see a huge uh, workload this year. Cohen's always been used in Matt Nagy's offense in a unique way, whether it's running the ball, getting it on, out of the backfield and passes, using him in reverse situations, just all sorts of trick plays. And from what I've been seeing, this David Montgomery kid's really been impressive throughout training camp, and it seems like he's going to step into a more severe role this year. Um, Kelvin Ridley is another guy, as I just mentioned when I was talking about Julio Jones, of why he's going to get more targets. I think Kelvin Ridley is going to have a huge sophomore season just because of how many times they throw the ball in that offense. And I think because Muhammad Sanu continues to get up there in age and his production is kind of dropping off a bit, I think Ridley's going to take that next step. I think Kyler Murray is actually a sleeper um, deeper in drafts just because, as I talked about before, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, Mayfield, they have that extra dynamic with the running ability. And I think because people don't really know what to expect, he can have um, similar type first year that Lamar Jackson had fantasy-wise just because of the running ability. I'm not saying that the Cardinals are going to be very good as a team overall, 
but I think Kyler Murray is going to have a great year because he has some nice pieces on offense around him with David Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, and Christian Kirk. Um, Austin Eckler is another name that I think is increasingly going up as a sleeper just because of the whole Melvin Gordon situation right now where he's requested a trade because he wants a new contract and the Chargers don't want to pay him because they feel comfortable with Eckler as their starting running back along with Justin Jackson. So I think Eckler's definitely a guy that should be kept an eye on in a lot of drafts. And then finally, Tyler Boyd. As I mentioned, staying away from A.J. Green, you should 100% be getting on the Tyler Boyd bandwagon. He was already coming off a 1,000-yard season last year. He just got a new contract. Um, with the A.J. Green injury, he's going to be the clear-cut number one guy um, in Cincinnati. So I think he's going to be um, a sleeper that you can probably stash away in that 8-10 to 10 round range, maybe even a little sooner depending on how long. Green's going to be out for um, as a very sneaky wide receiver this year. But that's going to do it for today's episode, guys. I thank you guys for all tuning in. Next week, we're going to be getting back into the Buffalo topics. So we'll take a review of the week one preseason between Bills and Colts. We'll take a look at my first 53-man roster projection. We're going to talk about um, the Sabres and their point projection as a team and some point projections for um, the players overall we're going to start talking about some big four hoops next week we'll take a preview look at Canisius for their upcoming season and then finally we're going to talk about Jack Eichel and whether or not he's a good captain for the Buffalo Sabres not um, once again thanks guys for listening and hope to have you guys tune in next week have a good one guys